everybody, and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and that game was a lot more fun. I'm here to discuss the USA's 3-0 win over Honduras in World Cup qualifying. Here with me to do the same as a man who watched the game in his freezer as a show of solidarity. <laughs> it's Joe Lowry. Joe, that was very noble of you. Yeah, Taylor, I'm just trying to do what I can out here, trying to experience these conditions yeah. and literally hopping into my freezer after jumping into a, a bath to then really feel the moisture <laughs> freezing on my skin. That was the best way I could think to do that, Taylor Rockwell. All right, let's talk about that weather then for a moment. It was a big win for the USA, a 3-0 win. Huge. Two first half goals offset pieces. That had been lacking. Good aggressive play, a good second half game sealer from Christian Pulisic. That was needed. I suspect... If you were already Berhalter out, this didn't change a lot for you. If you were okay with what he was doing, you probably still feel that way. What I'll say to start, Joe, is as I said in the introduction, this one, more fun for us watching at home than the Sunday result for sure. 100%. The conditions here were downright insane. The the kickoff, the the, the temperature at kickoff was three degrees, and I'm Mm -hmm. sure it felt way colder than that in St. Paul, Minnesota. I believe the feels like temperature was negative 14 at kickoff. Yeah, which is downright brutal. I mean, multiple Honduran players, there were three subs for Honduras at halftime. We learned after the game that multiple Honduran players, their starting goalkeeper and and Romel Kyoto reportedly were, were two of them. Maybe there's more, I'm not sure. But multiple Honduran players had to be treated for hypothermia after playing in this game, not even for the full 90, evidently. That's ridiculous. And and part of the response from the U.S. camp and from Greg Berhalter was, well, you know, the U.S. has to go down to Central America and play in the afternoon, heat exhaustion and all of those things. And that's true. Those are legitimate challenges that the U.S. has faced in the past and will face down the line as well, I'm sure. But it still doesn't sit right with me, Taylor, that, that this happens. It still doesn't sit right to me. Sam Stagel has been using the phrase manufactured adversity. And that, to me, is the perfect way to describe the situation. You know, Greg Berhalter's been talking about how they really were able to use the conditions to their advantage and they want to challenge Honduras and, and, and really make them suffer, not in a hypothermic kind of way, although that did happen, but just in a soccer it. kind of way. But man, I just can't shake the idea that when it's that cold – the ball is going to be harder to move, and it was. The field is going to be worse. It was. And it's it's literally harder to move your own body and get the energy and actually move around. And when I think about ways to use a talent advantage that the U.S. certainly has against a team like Honduras and over most teams in this region at this stage of World Cup qualifying, man, I don't know why you would want to slow the ball down and slow yourselves down. That's the two main ways I can think of that you actually show and use a talent advantage in a key game or in any game, really. So I don't I don't get it. I'm obviously hoping that those Honduran players recover. Romel Kyoto reportedly had recovered. I'm, I'm guessing everybody's going to be fine. But man, I it feels like trying to make things harder than they need to be. And I don't know, I live my life by the KISS motto so often. <laughs> I, I like that motto. It's very good. Uh, I had this conversation with Graham and Ryan uh, before, I believe before we started recording the January window show that we put out earlier today uh, or yesterday, if you're listening to this on Thursday. And they were both pretty confused as to why this was happening. Uh, and I, I think Ryan, to his credit, pointed out that I think there's more of a tendency or tradition or or just thick-headedness in American sports to play through really adverse conditions, to play through really bad conditions in terms of temperature or precipitation. But I, I, I think with all that said, I agree with you, Joe, that fundamentally it's a decision that didn't need to be made. I think this game originally, according to some reports I saw, was I think in Portland, then they moved it to Minnesota, and there is the home field advantage aspect of things. To me, that would have been more useful ahead of the Canada game. I said this then that like 
if you're going to kind of try to use a game to get ready for those conditions, it feels like play the first one in Minnesota, get used to that, then go to Canada where it's going to be as cold or maybe even a little bit warmer, I think. And then you're sort of ready for it and then play that final game in maybe a little bit better of conditions because it is against a Honduras team that you wouldn't expect to throw a ton at you. With the caveat that I believe it was last place Trinidad that kept the United States out of the World Cup in 2018. So you can never overlook an opponent. And I think in a lot of ways, cynically, the the plan worked. To your point, Joe, two players off at halftime with hypothermia. Uh, it also did seem I, there was a moment with Honduras coming out as late as they did to start the second half. I thought for a moment they might just be forfeiting. And they're, they already feel like World Cup qualifying is over. They haven't won a game. Why are we doing this? They didn't end up forfeiting, but they did look miserable for large stretches of this game. And, and it felt almost with a good chunk of time, like maybe 30 minutes to go, that it was sort of going to be... A little bit of an impasse, a little bit of a look. No one's trying to get hurt. No one's trying to kill themselves in this situation. And that, to me, was the other negative aspect of things, that it just felt like once it was 2-0, once it was 3-0, the game was sort of done from a competitive standpoint, and I think Honduras weren't really trying to uh, push it from there on. So overall, a a good result. We'll, we'll, We'll say that again. We'll reiterate that again. But just in conditions that didn't need to be the conditions that they played in. Yep. But here we are, three points, three goals. That's all good, but commiserations to Honduras for having to deal with the uh, conditions. Commiserations to the many journalists and fans in attendance, especially the journalists who had to sit outside. Oh, I Taylor. cannot believe there was outdoor seating. Uh, I wonder how many laptops froze up and uh, technical issues were created from that weather. Joe, you've been uh, to Minnesota at least more than I have. Sure. Have you been there when it was cold? I have. Yeah, I hit my first ever negative degrees in, in, in Minnesota. Oof. Living out here in Arizona, we don't really hit negatives. We don't really hit anything below, well, a lot of the year we don't hit anything below three digits. So it's it's a very foreign experience. And, and that's why I think I'm sensitive to this issue. I just cannot imagine physically operating in temperatures that are this cold. Like, yeah. like when you're existing in those spaces, you're only existing outside to get inside, right? That's the only reason you're outside <laughs> is well to said. get back inside. And the U.S. and Honduras <laughs> couldn't do that in this game. The fans, nope. what, credit to the fans mm-hmm. to come out and, and support this team in these conditions. It's insane that this happened. The plan worked, I guess, but yeah. I just don't buy that there weren't 10 other plans that could have worked even better or at least this good for the U.S. playing yeah. in Nashville or playing in Austin. Fly an extra hour and a half and get to Austin, Texas. You know, it doesn't make any sense to me. But all that said, Taylor, three goals for the U.S., a relatively solid performance mm-hmm. from them against a, a pretty weak Honduras team. And most importantly, as we've already mentioned, getting all of those points at home was a necessity for this team. And they did that. And that's massive. You say relatively solid, Joe, and normally when we're talking about a 3-0 win, uh, like good set-piece goals, Christian Pulisic getting the goal he definitely needed, I think we would be much more optimistic. And final note on the weather, I think it does factor into why we're both just slightly more muted. Yes, there's the idea that it's a Honduras team that is not particularly good, did not play particularly well. But it is also the case that so many of the moments in this game, I don't know if they were individual mistakes or the temperature factoring into things, because so many crosses were hit low. I do not think that was an intentional tactic. Sometimes it is, sometimes you're aiming low, but a lot of the crosses, it felt like players were actively trying to get height on them, and they just weren't able to do so. There are weird bounces and weird bobbles. Uh, Jordan Morris has that shot that's saved, and then Tim Weah gets the rebound and hits the keeper in the head with it. And that shot, if you go back and watch it, it's just 
pops up at the very last moment for no reason. It's almost credit to Jordan Morris that he keeps it on frame, but that was a condition that we were having to deal with. And so some of the lack of consistency, lack of kind of consistent moments, some of the inability to string passes together on occasion, I do put down to the weather as opposed to a lack of performance. Because even Weston McKinney, I think early in the first half, like 19 minutes in, has a headed clearance and then he stops and you can see him like rubbing his head behind the play. I think you have to kind of factor that into the analysis because if you don't you're probably coming at this from a slightly unfair perspective well this is just a weird game as well taylor and a lot of that weirdness is weather induced i mean go back to even the the second minute of play and the ref stops things and goes over to matt turner and tells him to take his muff off and go put it behind the goal after reportedly all that stuff has been cleared with all the proper soccer game authorities that that stuff should have been fine but we get a stoppage early on and the ref nation jamaican jamaican ref I called everything in this first half. He had a yeah. really tight leash on this game. It made it awkward to try and build rhythm. So you have the the coldness-related challenges. Weston McKenney, Anthony Robinson gets the ball in the chest, and he is doubled over very briefly. That's a bit ex- mm-hmm. of an exaggeration, but he's clearly struggling. Oh, no, Ricardo Pepe, yeah. Ricardo Pepe gets hit. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he's not he's not happy at all, and I wouldn't be either. Ricardo Pepe gets hit in the face, and it turns out to be a broken nose, but even still, I'd be shocked if that recovery doesn't take longer because the sting of your skin after you get hit oh, yeah. in the face like that is infinitely worse in sub-zero or, or right around zero temperatures. So you have all those things. You have the field as well, which was just not very good. It was very good considering it's Minnesota in the beginning of February, but not, I mean, you could see the ball bouncing. You could see it bobbling. It takes those little divots and it, the ball hits those little divots, bounces up. You're talking about the Morris shot. It happened a bunch in this game. That makes moving the ball more challenging. And Taylor, after the Canada game, and really after the El Salvador game too, we've talked about how ball movement and moving the ball at speed is really important to this team, and that's a huge thing that's been missing in this window, in my view, to the U.S. actually creating open play chances. And the U.S. did create some open play chances. They created more quality chances on set pieces than they, set pieces than they did in open play. But it's harder to do those kinds of things when the ball isn't moving and it's harder to move the ball when the field isn't so good. And so you can trace these things back a few different layers. There's there's some challenges all over the place. But really, yeah, I keep coming back to the fact that the U.S. got the job done and, and it's hard for me to be too upset about any of this stuff. All right. Well, then let's get into the game itself, shall we? Let's start with those lineups. We did have some big changes. Most notably, Christian Pulisic goes to the bench. Jordan Morris starts in his place. Ricardo Pepe gets the start up top. Tim Weah alongside him. Luca De La Torre goes to midfield. That was exciting. Uh, uh, Kevin Acosta starts for Tyler Adams, which is something that we expected to happen. Weston McKinney retains his place. And then on the back line, it's Jedi. It's Cannon. It's Zim. It's Miles. It's a solid uh, foursome there, and it was nice to see. For me personally, I think I'm just a big Reggie Cannon fan. Hmm. Uh, Good to see Reginald in the lineup, and good to see Matt Turner uh, in goal, but mostly spent this game, I think, running from side to side, desperately trying to stay warm. Commiserations to Matt Turner. He does have a good clearance in the dying moments that shows how alive he was to things even while freezing. But, Joe, we've run through the lineup and uh, roughly the formation for the United States. Uh, What did you make when you saw it? Because I felt like it made a lot of sense, but was also surprising at the same time. Yeah, I thought it made a lot of sense. I honestly didn't find a lot of surprises in this in in the starting 11-7 changes. Miles Robinson and Walker Zimmerman 
I'm I'm fine with that. It feels like those are the two best center backs on the on the roster right now. After Chris Richards struggled against El Salvador and then gets hurt against Canada, you don't have many other options outside of Mark McKenzie. You don't have any other options outside of Mark McKenzie, and I don't think he would have ever started over Robinson or Zimmerman at those spots. I thought that made sense. Giving Dest a little bit of a rest, especially when you have other right backs on the roster, that also made sense. This is not... I guess any game against a, a team that sits deep like Honduras did can be a game for Dest, but rotating him after starting him and playing him a lot in the first two games made sense to me. A-Rob has to start. Basically, there's no other left backs here. I assume Musa needed a little bit of a rest, and so I'm fine with Luca De La Torre getting in, and he certainly validated Baralter's decision with how he played in this game. He was phenomenal, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. Moving into the forward line, giving Christian Pulisic a rest is is totally fine with me. I thought Baralter was wise to do that. A hard decision, certainly, but I, I like Christian Pulisic coming off the bench in situations like this where he started the first two games of the window, he hasn't been playing well, change up the rhythm, change up the routine a little bit, and that paid off with him getting the third goal for the U.S., and then get Wea back in, right? Get Pepe back in. Those kinds of things made sense to me. I liked this lineup, Taylor. I thought it made sense, and it paid off for Greg Berhalter. So, Joe, uh, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on we wanted to see things uh, be a little bit different or a lot bit different after the Canada game. Do you feel like what were the things that you saw in that first half that showed you there was a little bit different of approach to this game? The biggest thing that I thought was different for the U.S., actually, there's two things. One of them's a little hard to gauge from the broadcast camera angle on FS1, but I think this happened. The U.S. played out of more of a back two in this game than a back three. And I'll explain what I mean, because we've been talking all window long about this 4-3-3 shape, and that is true. That's what the U.S. defends out of in most moments. But Taylor, if you go back and watch a lot of the sequences that we've seen from the U.S. against Canada, against El Salvador, even in the past, it's a lot of, yes, the two center backs being back there, but then also Tyler Adams, or then also you know, one of the fullbacks. It happened a lot against Canada, and happened, yeah, it happened a lot against El Salvador too, of A-Rob dropping deeper, of Des dropping deeper, just temporarily to add that extra bit of protection in the back. I didn't see the U.S. rocking out with that back three as much in this game. They were more aggressive in my mind in pushing numbers forward, allowing the fullbacks to provide width higher up the field instead of tucking back into the back to the back line, really, and making it a temporary back three. And Acosta, Taylor, certainly do d- didn't do much of any of that in this game. He was almost always just behind or just in front of Honduras's front two in this game. So that was one thing that I noticed. But maybe the biggest thing that I noticed in this game, Taylor, and something that I really liked, I tweeted about it after the game, is the two eights for the U.S. In this game, it was Weston McKinney on one side and Luca De La Torre on the other side. They stayed higher and more central in this game than they did at any point in the window leading up to this game. They were much more narrow compared to the the fullback spots that that the U.S. center mids had been rotating into against Canada and against El Salvador. Those players were closer to meaningful action. They were closer to running into the box, especially with Weston McKinney. That's a huge asset. De La Torre busted his gut to try and get forward and move into those spaces as well and had a couple nice late arriving runs in those spaces. I liked those players being in those those more advanced positions. I thought it allowed them to have a better impact on the game against a team like Honduras that wasn't really all that interested in, one, going forward, and, and two, defending the wide areas. Having those numbers centrally, I thought, made a lot of sense. Joe, uh, completely agree with you on on a lot of those points because Kellen Acosta especially at like at his closest point to the center backs was maybe 10 yards ahead of them. Yeah. And even when they would carry the ball forward, which was more of a feature of this game was the center backs kind of 
moving the ball into a space about maybe 40 yards from Honduras' goal and inviting someone to step to them. And sometimes that meant they had to recycle. Sometimes it meant there was incisive passing or sort of movement off the ball and it worked out. But even when that would happen, Kellen Acosta would still stay ahead of them. And I thought did a good job to kind of bridge that divide. So too did the two number eights, as you mentioned. And I think all of that allowed the U.S. to be so much more consistent in the way they were pressing. And it caused huge problems for Honduras. There's maybe a 10 to 15 minute period when Honduras were able to play a little bit more, did kind of play out of the pressure, never really got that many opportunities or any opportunities that I really can recall. But other than that one window in the first half, it just seemed like the U.S. was all over them and made them uncomfortable and pressed as a unit and battled for everything, won their aerial challenges. And even if it was a 50-50 that went straight up twice, I saw Zimmerman win the first header, it goes straight yep. up in the air, collects himself and wins the second header, and not just wins it, but wins it to a teammate. And he did that on a couple occasions with his head and with his feet. He has one of the first half when he absolutely shapes, like he is just going to boot the ball clear. Honduras drops off a little bit. Both of the, those front two drop deeper, and he splits them both with just a quick disguised pass into Calvin Acosta, who turns, and away we go. And I thought there was so much more focus on winning the ball back immediately or as quickly as possible, but then retaining that ball. And I didn't see nearly as many sort of wayward long passes into the channel, wayward balls over the top. It seemed like the U.S. was still trying to attack with speed, but not just launching the ball and then running after it and counting that as speedy counterattacks. Instead, they they seemed to actually be focused on on building through possession. And that is where my, my next question comes, Joe, is that you wanted to see more ball movement at speed. Do you feel like you saw more of that in this game? Because I feel like we did at times, and at other times it looked somewhat similar to the Canada game. Agreed. No, Taylor, I agree with that. One player that I thought did a really nice job of conducting play and really filling his role quite well in possession was Kellen Acosta. You mentioned him there, and I guess I mentioned him earlier, but man, he was playing the pivot role, the number six role to a T in this game. Defensively, he was cleaning up. He was doing the dirty work. I thought he read a lot of those counter-pressing sequences quite well. And then with the ball at his feet, there were so many sequences. Doyle kept clipping them on Twitter, but they kept happening, and I was too lazy to do that, but I was writing them down. These moments where he gets on the ball, he sees their space on the right side, and he hits a nice little diagonal over to that side. He was doing that over and over again in this game. Honduras kept allowing him to pass that ball, first of all. They kept not really pressuring the wide areas either, and Acosta was perfectly happy to progress the ball to move it out into that right-sided space for Cannon, for Wea, for De La Torre, at times for Weston McKenney. And that worked well for the U.S. in this game. He was active, Acosta. He was moving the ball. I really liked the speed of play that he brought. Now, saying that and saying the U.S. did a good job of moving the ball at times in this game, that's true. I just can't I can't shake the feeling that a lot of that has to do with Honduras, maybe more than it has to do with the U.S. This is the wet blanket kind of thing to say. But it's, I, it's a frozen blanket, but yeah, it's, sure, it's a ahead. frozen blanket. It's a frozen solid blanket, Taylor, at this point. It's more of a weapon than it is any, <laughs> anything that you can snuggle with. But man, Honduras were, by the second half, Taylor, they were done. They yep. were over this thing. And yep. so I, maybe, maybe that's where Greg Baralter stands up and says, yeah. And U.S. Soccer stands up and says, yeah, we did that. Like we did yep. that with where we scheduled this game. Maybe it has to do with that. Maybe it has to do with how the U.S. played in the first half. Maybe it has to do with the fact that Honduras are just out. They were already out of World Cup qualifying. But man, there was like at times not even a semblance of a defensive shape from Honduras. And that was there at times in the first half too. And so I, I just don't really know in a sense how to value or really really communicate through some of what we saw tonight just because of the difference in quality and the difference in effort and output between these two teams. 
Yeah, I see it. As, like, I saw a lot of people saying, like, one thing we learned is Kellen Acosta has to be in the team going forward, that Luca De La Torre has to be in the team going forward. And I understand the optimism. I understand why people feel that way. And I don't even begrudge them that. If you if you want to make that argument, make that argument. But for me, what I think we can do is look at this as there are players that gave us reason for optimism. Yeah. And I don't think a game against Honduras at home in these conditions and this Honduras team, you can say one performance, never mind, that's it. We know this guy's got to be there. Right. But you can say when called upon when deputizing for Tyler Adams when stepping in for Yunus Musa these guys didn't drop the ball they carried it forward they found passes they tried to make things happen they did everything that was asked of them so let's see if they can do that again against stronger opposition and and that's how I feel about Luca De La Torre we can talk about him in a second but sticking with Kellen Acosta for a moment I also did feel like he was the U.S. player that most often looked for those direct passes either into feet or in behind. He has that really perfect weighted ball over the top for Tim Weah, who gets a good first touch but can't, uh, I think, get the second to get the shot. But still, just that pass is something that's been sorely missing. A couple different times, he tries to find the feet of Pepe or Jordan Morris in more central positions. And a lot of those moments were... Not quite disguised, but it was sort of like he he did that thing where he shapes to play it wide and then sort of adjusts his hips last second and pings the ball into feet. And even if it's laid off, even if it's not controlled, even if I think one of them was a little bit errant, just looking for that, that variety, it makes Honduras have to adjust. They can't always bank on they're going to go wide, we'll wait for them to play the ball wide, then we'll send numbers and kind of contain them there. If you have to think about it, if you have to delay, if you just have to hold on for one or two more seconds to make sure that that ball is not going central, it buys you more space out wide. And I thought the variety of of, of pass that Kevin Acosta played in this game, so important. And then obviously his set piece delivery. I yes. think he has all three, two free kicks, one corner. Uh, so he gets three assists on the night, I'm assuming, although I guess the second one is probably more unassisted than anything. But great delivery from Kellen Acosta. And that is a thing that we have been sorely lacking. I've, I seem to recall a lot of corners and set pieces hitting that first defender, hitting yep. the wall. Nice to see a few of them delivered well. That's one thing that I do think is replicable from this game because mm-hmm. that's the concern, right, Taylor? That's the concern is the U.S. come out here and they play three, uh, they they play well enough for the situation. They get three goals and they get three points. All of those things are great, and, and in the context of World Cup qualifying, you really can't ask much more than that from a results standpoint. So the U.S. got the job done. I don't want to overshadow that here, but the concern is okay. Can they go out and do this again? Because the track record that the U.S. has established in qualifying and at times in the past under Greg Berhalter is. Now we're not really sure if they can go out and, and perform again, perform like this consistently against Mexico and against Canada. And I know, I, I know the U.S. beat Mexico multiple times and lifted multiple trophies over them this summer. But my point stands there. That's the concern. But Acosta's set piece delivery, Taylor, that's something that you can see happen over and over again. And, and the weird thing is, because of the the midfield depth, especially the sixth spot, namely Tyler Adams. We don't know how often we're going to see Acosta delivering those set pieces. But to your to your other statement there earlier, it is a reason for optimism. Acosta's delivery is a reason for optimism. You you need something in a late game situation. You need that little bit of extra extra sauce on a set piece. Acosta, right? I mean, that's that's the guy. And I think there's other data points in the past to back that up. So that's one thing that I think is positive. His distribution in space, it's a good thing to learn, right? It's a good thing to see and, and have play out in front of you to say, Okay, against a team like this, Acosta can do that job. He did it. There aren't many teams that are as poor as Honduras at at this point in CONCACAF, but still, you get some information, you get some data points. Those are good things. And Acosta, really, he was brilliant tonight, especially on set pieces, but in open play, too. I thought he was 
He was my best performer on the night. I thought Weston McKinney was pretty excellent, and I thought Luca De La Torre really yeah. rose to the occasion because in the opening minutes, I think I was in the minority that was slightly down on him to start the game. I, I felt like he was slow to adjust at times. It, se- it, did, it felt like sort of what you and I had been concerned about, Joe, is what does he do when he doesn't have as much time on the ball? And I think there were moments early in the game when he does get caught in possession, he's a little bit too slow, or the pass gets cut out because he's just taking that extra touch. And I think more than anything, that's probably just nerves. He's aware he's coming into this game with the pressure because of the Canada loss, because if he doesn't perform, maybe this is it for him, at least for a little while. And so I can totally understand that. And I think there's one moment in the 17th minute when he has the ball, he gives it away, then he concedes a foul. And from that point on, I live thought like, oh, this this could kind of be a quicksand game for him. And it was the opposite. I don't know what that would be. An elevator game, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but he, he really, from that moment on, w- was pretty much rock solid and c- carries the ball forward with like relentlessness that I appreciated even when he gets uh, swiped and kicked from behind and little fouls and worth noting, I believe he draws both of the fouls for both of the, the free kicks that lead to the opening goals for the United States. And I think the kind of grew with confidence every single time he was on the ball, such that by the end he was taking people on and dribbling at people with speed, but then not forcing passes every single time, not forcing crosses every single time. Sometimes he would cut back. Sometimes he would wait for the overlap. Sometimes he would have a quick little combination. And I thought his variety of pass, his variety of dribble, and just his overall presence and defensive work rate as well. I thought an incredibly strong game from him. I believe Greg Berhalter said that if he could, he would have given him man of the match. And that's probably fair. If Acosta was brilliant in this game, Luca De La Torre was also brilliant in this yep. game. I liked a lot of his positioning on that right side. Taylor, he wasn't flawless, to your point, right? Especially early on. You mentioned a, a poor sequence in the 17th minute. I had a poor pass noted down in the 12th minute. There's a couple other mistakes here and there, too. But man, so much of what he brought was good. His positioning on that right side, providing some verticality, staying higher between the lines, which was a greater trend that we already talked about from those number eights. Some really clever touches to get out of tight spaces, Drew, the, drew both those fouls you already mentioned, Taylor, for the first two goals, from McKenney's goal that, that Acosta serves in, and for Zimmerman's goal as well in that first half. But the biggest thing that stood out to me about De La Torre was his speed. He made yeah. everyone else on the field look slow in a way that I did not expect. I, I would wager that I've watched more of him at Heracles than 99% of the population out there, outside of the Netherlands, I suppose. Like he, <laughs> Even he, then, I don't know how big of a draw. <laughs> true, true. He was buzzing around tonight much more than I expected him to. He was quick and vertical in transition on the ball, beating people not just with his technical quality, but with his athleticism. Man, he was everywhere at all times, buzzing around defensively. Again, the opponent caveat here, right? I'm not not exactly sure how we contextualize this against other potential opponents for the U.S. in this region and beyond. But man... For tonight, he was everything the U.S. needed on that right side, combining, rotating into different spots, combining with, with McKenney and Wea on that right side, getting the ball off of Reggie Cannon and, and producing some nice balls into the box on that right wing. I, I, I loved a lot of what I saw from De La Torre, and I'm glad he sees this opportunity because I do think, Taylor, part of me thinks, and this is where I'm trying to rein myself in it and not draw too many conclusions in terms of what we saw on the field tonight, but part of me thinks, and tell me if this is stupid or ridiculous, part of me thinks he's a better option for a game against a low block type of team than a Yunus Musa. And it's weird to say, and it's weird to think about breaking up that MMA midfield. But Taylor, we've been talking about, okay, how do you fix the chance creation struggles? 
maybe a way to do that is to get a guy who's a little cleaner on the ball, is a little faster in how he moves. And we saw tonight, again, against a bad team, but that he can contribute in some of those areas. What do you think of that idea of getting De La Torre in over Musa in a game like this down the line when everyone's fit? If we're sticking with the idea, Joe, that like players gave us optimism, and that is sort of how I'm treating this, is it's a great result, it's exactly what we needed, putting that aside, it's what did we learn from this that makes us feel better going forward? And I think, for me, all we can say is that from Luca De La, La Torre's, easy for me to say, performance in this game, if he does start a game against a low-block team and Eunice Moose is on the bench... In the past, I would have thought, ah, that seems very risky. I don't know about that one. Now, with what we've seen tonight, I think there is, you have to kind of say, like, okay, let's see what happens. And if it doesn't go well, then we've learned that lesson, or maybe it doesn't go well a couple times, and then we know that for sure. But I think I'm with you, that he he changed it up, and it was his his willingness and ability to read the situation and recognize when he needed to do what that I think made him rise a few levels in my estimations. As I said, in the beginning, I felt like a little bit slow, a little bit ponderous, that he thought he had more time. And once he gets knocked a couple times, he picks it up from there. And yes, he goes on very quick dribbles with that acceleration, did not know he had that level of speed, especially while carrying the ball. But on other occasions, just quick one-touch passes, lateral backwards, a lot of times one- and two-touch passes forwards as well, which was desperately needed. But I think picking those moments as to when to drive with the ball versus when to look for the pass for is when to occupy space or vacate space. I thought he did a good job of varying his approach throughout such that, yeah, Joe, I'm with you that if we see Luca De La Torre starting against a low block team, I will have optimism. And that's not a thing I necessarily would have said after the Canada game or uh, even before when it came to Luca De La Torre with the national team. That's progress. That's something yeah. that we can maybe take, Taylor, to your point. I'm, I'm glad I'm not totally out on a crazy no, island over here. But I, I do think that's something that at least maybe Baralter considers going forward. As good as that MMA midfield is, you, you can't always expect those guys with the profile of players that each one of them is, right? Tyler Adams is not a hugely attacking guy. We saw his limitations on the ball earlier on in this window, especially against Canada. Although turnovers against El Salvador as well, now that I'm thinking about it. Weston McKenney, really creative and kind of wild card freelancer kind of guy. Not someone that you can always rely on to create a ton of chances. You know, he creates individual moments of brilliance, but he's he's kind of in his own category as a player. And Musa, great ball progressor, physical guy. Not always the quickest in little short bursts. And that's where I think De La Torre has him beat. I also think De La Torre has him beat with his, his passing. But again, I, I'm not necessarily married to that take given the context of this game. But still, I like the idea of having an option because we've seen over the last year or so, it's it's probably not legit to do that job. I'm confident saying it's not legit to do that job filling in for Musa or McKenney in one of those eight spots. It's not Roldan doing that. And if it's not those guys, it's Busio maybe, but I, I don't think we're far enough along on him yet. It's If it's not Busio, then who, right? And De La Torre maybe is the answer to that question. And that, Taylor, encourages me from a game like this. Yeah, and I think it's worth remembering here, this is a really, really young team, an exceptionally young team, and I thought Paul and Sam made some really good points about that after the Canada game, that you do need that veteran presence to kind of help you when you need to get through the game. I thought Walker Zimmerman was that uh, this evening, but I also think when you've got a really young team who are all kind of expecting to start, and it does feel like that's the way we've gone with the MMA midfield at least— 
there can be, and I'm not saying this is the case, but there can be a little bit of complacency. If if you look, if you are Yunus Musa or Weston McKinney and you're looking at Roldan and Legette, you know those are Burhalter guys who are going to do what's asked of them and he likes those guys, but you know they're never going to start over you. You know that in a big game, if everybody's fully fit, you're starting over them. And that can be good. It can give you that confidence and it can mean you're performing that well, but we've seen it with at club level at national team level over and over again if you don't have that challenger no matter how good you are there is that feeling of like ah, i had a bad game you know so what ah, i didn't hit that pass so what and it can bleed into your game and when luca de la Torre comes in and has as strong of a performance as he had is he going to start the next game probably not is he going to be in the squad i would hope so but you never know but if you are one of those midfielders you do have to think like that guy played out pretty well maybe i got to be a little bit tidier and i think the more competition we have the more depth we have that's why i think kevin acosta was so important tonight not just because he played really well but because it was I think I think I've had this realization before and it was against similar opposition but it was the first time or I guess the second time that I felt like all right if Tyler Adams injured like at least we know there's somebody who can do a serviceable impression Mm. of Tyler Adams maybe against stronger opposition that's not the case but again I feel like we we have more options than I thought we did going into this game and that again makes me feel pretty optimistic. Taylor, you asked me about my observations, really, really tactical observations yeah. after the Canada game, comparing that one to this game against Honduras. What did you notice? Did you see anything that was, you know, majorly different or even minorly different? What did you notice from this U.S. Mm-hmm. team tonight? I, I noticed a couple little things that, uh, when I saw them happen routinely, made me very excited. A big one, and it was usually Miles Robinson. Sometimes it was Walker Zimmerman, but I would see Miles Robinson at left center back. Um, sort of carrying the ball to around midfield and the sideline. And that would allow uh, Jedi to get forward. That would allow uh, then Jordan Morris on the left side to move central. And oftentimes what happened is then Ricardo Pepe would check back pretty aggressively into that like kind of central space. And Miles Robinson three different times pings a good 30-yard ball in directly to the feet of Ricardo Pepe. One time it's from a little bit deeper, and that's the one where Pepe sort of lays it off. Acosta has the kind of loop ball over the top for Timothy Way, and it ends in Way of fouling. But even there, there's a directness to that counterattack that was lacking. And it's because there are balls played centrally that makes Honduras collapse and stay narrow. And then it opens up space out wide or it opens up space in the channels. And I felt like there was a variety to the way the U.S. was trying to pass and break lines that we have yeah. not seen or did not see against Canada. That was a big one. I, I did feel like at times, at least, the ball moved much faster. There was more one and two touch passing. There was less kind of ponderous play. And that stood out to me all the more because in a game when Honduras were sitting off, when nobody wanted to do, I feel like, a ton of extra work. Maybe they did because they were cold. But there were plenty of opportunities for the U.S. to kind of dawdle and try to be overly elaborate. And they did that on occasion, especially in the second half. But I did feel like the ball moved faster. I don't know if it moved faster in the areas that we really want to see it move faster, which would be in the attacking third for the United States. But I saw some variety to the approach, variety to the way they were breaking lines, and then a little bit faster ball movement uh, for most of the game. Taylor, I want to go back to the first point you mentioned there with the center backs, because I noticed something similar. They certainly had more time and more space. And I thought they did a better job, Robinson specifically, of taking that space and taking advantage of the opportunities that were afforded to them. Nice distribution from Miles Robinson in this game. And I thought he had a great game in general, as did Walker Zimmerman. Just more offensive contributions in my mind, outside of the goal, I guess, from Walker Zimmerman. But more on-the-ball contributions from Robinson in this game. 
I think that's a an opponent type of of thing. Like I think that stems from how Honduras defended in this game relative to how Canada defended. But either way, I think that's another thing that the U.S. wants to see more of if we're going to expect this team to produce more in open play. I think having center backs that are comfortable on the ball, and this is why John Brooks is such a big miss for this team and why not having more center backs with his offensive abilities is a, is a miss for this team too, is when you don't have those kinds of players, when you don't have those line-breaking balls, it's harder to facilitate play centrally, right? Because imagine, you know, Taylor, I'm getting the ball as a left-sided center back. I don't have John Brooks's passing range. I don't have the quality or the, the ability to split lines and find Weston McKinney between those lines. So I'm just going to play the ball out to my fullback. Or I'm going to rotate the ball across to my center back partner. And that's what ends up happening a lot for the U.S. It happened a lot against Canada. It's happened in the past, too, where instead of breaking those lines, the center backs aren't able to take on that, that creative responsibility. Because really, that's what it is. Even though it doesn't directly lead to chances, it indirectly leads to chances so often. So that's a thing that I thought served the U.S. well in this game. Robinson, again, was, was big in those moments. And I hope it's something we see from him more going forward. Same with Zimmerman. He had some good moments doing that earlier in this window, but just not consistently enough. Going back to how to improve this team in possession, maybe get a little more creativity in the midfield at times, maybe get a little more creativity in the center back group at times. Those are the kinds of things that build on each other to create a, a higher level attacking team. Mm-hmm. I, I think if we want there to be a higher level attacking team, the other thing I would have really liked to see and would continue to like to see is a more variety to the way the U.S. attacks in that final third. And that was my major sort of negative point from this game, if I'm if I'm taking one, is just that there were still those moments when, do you want to try to combine through the middle? Nah, let's just play it wide and cross it low. And there's a, there is, like, that's a valid thing to do when it's on. But when it starts being the... Not sole, but the very much primary way you are attacking, the defense can handle that. And crosses started getting cut out or blocked or intercepted or caught by the goalkeeper. And I and I think sometimes that's because the U.S. is kind of doing the same things. Sometimes it's because I don't think the runs are particularly electric. And I think players will make the runs and kind of get to the, the penalty spot or maybe eight yards from goal. And then they're sort of standing. And then as the cross is coming in, they're trying to make a sprint to the near post or sort of like uh, check away to the far post, but I would much rather see the United States have somebody crash to try to make that line drop and then have players at the top of the box moving to meet that ball, either if it's cut back or if it's crossed in, or even if that ball out wide, let's say it's Reggie Cannon. If he's looking to find, if he like fakes that cross and plays it to Luca De La Torre at the top of the box and he slides it over to Kellen Acosta. And now Kellen Acosta has the ball at 25 yards from goal and he can shoot or he's got a quick little pass through. I just feel like there could be a little bit more variety. There could be a little bit better positioning in that final third to make things happen. And that is one area where I'm not sure the U.S. did a ton to show me that there is reason for optimism there. That said, when you're up 3-0, when you're up 2-0, sure. I don't know how much you want to do that because you also run the risk of losing the ball centrally, leaves you pretty vulnerable to counterattack right through the middle. So I, I get why they weren't overly focused on that, but it is a, a variation I would love to see. I'm with you on a lot of that stuff, Taylor. And one player in particular that I want to mention here who I thought struggled with some of those things is Jordan Morris. He's starting over Christian Pulisic, starting over a number of different guys in that left wing spot in this game and did some good things. Stretched the line, had some defensive contributions. Overall, he was fine. But I thought there were a few moments where he was slow to recognize 
his positioning or slow to recognize where he needed to be on the field. Stu Holden points out one really obvious one of the broadcast early on. It's the sixth minute. The U.S. have the ball on the right side. They're looking to work it back towards the left. And, and A-Rob and Weston McKinney and Morris are all sort of just clumped together in the same vertical channel or, or at, least, at the very least, Taylor, no one is filling the wing. And that was a big issue in that particular moment. It didn't happen a ton, but that was an issue in that moment because as the U.S. tried to, to circulate possession towards the left, then they did Honduras's job for them by being so compact. Honduras didn't have to stretch. They didn't have to extend themselves. And it wasn't challenging, particularly for them to defend the U.S. in that moment, at least positionally. So that was a challenge. There were a couple others of those as well where Morris either wasn't in the right position in my view or he, he wasn't all that skillful on the ball. There's a moment in the 22nd minute where he doesn't turn. He has a chance to really get between the lines and drive the ball forward, and that doesn't happen. Christian Pulisic hasn't been doing a lot of that stuff either. So I'm not going to heap a ton of blame on Jordan Morris. And again, Tilly, you mentioned the game state, right? The U.S. goes up one, then they go up two, then they go up three. And there's not as much real reason to go out there and try to be as dangerous. And there's maybe more opportunities to freelance a little bit. But Morris in that positioning, I think, is an example of a greater problem that the U.S. is facing right now of seeing some of those spaces not running into each other, not overcrowding particular areas of the field, but also, I mean, to to really progress the ball and combine, you do need to overcrowd certain areas of the field. So it's a hard balance to find. And I thought the U.S. did a a, a pretty solid job of that at times in this game. But I'm with you, Taylor. It wasn't flawless, certainly, in the final third. No, and and that is, like, it's not that big of a deal, at least from this game. But overall, it becomes a bigger deal if there isn't an increase in the sharpness to the attacks over time. If Jordan Morris doesn't improve from here... I have concerns. If the U.S. doesn't find ways to sort of more consistently pass their way through defenses, especially in transition, there's two different times in the second half, uh, one from Luca De La Torre when he eventually passes the ball to Christian Pulisic but probably just holds on a little bit too long, another one when the U.S. wins the ball high, I think the ball gets kind of partially cleared to Pulisic, he chests it down, drives at the defense, and this is after he scored and it felt like, okay, maybe things are turning, maybe he's getting the momentum back. And he does that sort of step over, step over, step over, hold up, hold up, hold up, and then he gets the ball poked away when they're in transition. And those little moments stand out to me just because that is where I think the U.S. doesn't have the fluency or the chemistry or whatever it might be. You can just see the wheels turning in those moments of, I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to mess this up. Uh, Okay, now I'll pass the ball. And those moments, uh, okay, now I'll try to dribble somebody. But by then you've let the defender close you down. In some ways, Ricardo Pepe just absolutely having the mentality of give me the ball and I will shoot. I have no problems with that. There was a moment in the first half, I believe, uh, no, second half, when he absolutely could have just laid the ball off. He could have done like a reverse, like sort of like in-step pass to Weston McKinney, who would have been open for a shot. And I love that instead Pepe takes a touch and then has a go, ends up shooting wide. But just because there's a decisiveness to that, there's a definitive I am shooting this. If you give me the ball, that is my job and I'm going to make it happen that I want to see. I want to see the U.S. just be more decisive and more clinical when they decide to be decisive. And that was a little bit lacking at times in this game. Uh, But even if Ricardo Pepe doesn't get his name on the score sheet, I think to kind of have that energy and that engine and that willingness to battle even with a broken nose is uh, (laughs) commendable for sure. Taylor, we've talked about Acosta and De La Torre and Pepe and, and the center backs a little bit. Any other players that stood out to you for good reasons, for bad reasons, starters, substitutes? What else you got? I I would I'm gonna flip it back around on you, Joe, because I would love to know where you are on Tim Weah. Because yeah. 
he he felt like another one who was taking people on, trying to make things happen. He has that great inter- interchange with uh, Weston McKenney back and forth that leads to a, a good shooting opportunity. And he, again, is the creator of chaos. He does that plenty of times, and I mean that in a good way. But I also felt like there were still moments when he just gets the ball poked away. He's yep. a little bit too slow on it. What? Where Where were you on Timothy Weah this evening? Mixed is the answer okay. to that, Taylor. Mixed. Okay. And, and for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, takes too long on the ball in the 12th minute and eventually gets fouled. It's a bit of a bailout call from, from Nation. But there's for every one of those, it felt like there was a skillful touch or a good combination on the right side. And for every one of those, we're back to the first category where it's a little bit more negative. He takes too long on the ball, can't get a clean cross off from the right wing into the box. It felt very mixed for me tonight from Tim Way, which was disappointing. I thought I thought this was a good chance for him to come out and dominate Honduras, especially after not traveling to Canada. He's rested. Yeah, he's still kind of recovering, I guess, from a leg injury. But man, I felt like the stage was set for him to really take this game, and I don't think he did that. Even the combination that you're talking about, Taylor, with him and Weston McKinney, it's beautiful one-two soccer, right? It's it's just beautiful play from those two guys. But once McKinney returns the ball to Weah in the box, Weah shoots from a from a decent spot, from a pretty high percentage spot. But if he takes a look over his left shoulder, there's Ricardo Pepe and there's Jordan Morris both waiting and wide open for a ball on the floor to tap the ball into the back of the net. It, it felt like that play is maybe a good encapsulation of Tim Weah's night. Good, but it felt like there were opportunities to be really, really good that he didn't take advantage of or couldn't execute. So o- overall, good enough for this game, but not exactly what I'd hoped for from Tim Weah yeah. tonight. On that note, uh, I want to go back to uh, Weston McKinney as well. Joe, I think I figured out a way to sort of like enjoy Weston McKinney from start to finish. And it's to accept that there will be at least three times in a game and then sometimes up to five. And then after that, I have a problem with it. Between <laughs> between three and five moments of just like, what? From Weston McKinney. And if you're okay with that, if you're willing to let that stuff slide, then he is a really fun and important player for the United States. But every now and then, he's going to have a pass that just goes completely out of bounds to no one. Every now and then, he's going to try to do a step over when he absolutely doesn't need to and get the ball poked away. But then every time he does that, he hustles back and slides in and, and like either wins the ball back or puts it out for a throw-in or regains possession. But he's just has moments, and I think it's just part of his game. I think it's part of being young and part of being a little bit goofy, which he seems to be. He's just going to have odd moments that you have to kind of know are going to occur. And when they do, just be like, ah, there's one of them. All right, there's the first one. He has five of those total before I start to get really annoyed with him. Uh, maybe people aren't going to be willing to give him five, but I am when it when it then means he's winning towering headers and sort of patrolling that midfield and being a physical presence. But yeah, three to five, what was that? Sort of moments for McKinney every game. <laughs> I'll take 10. What was that moments if, if there's a set-piece goal right. for, every, right. for every 10 of those things, man? No, Taylor, that's I, man, I think you're spot on with so much of that stuff. Weston McKinney has that ball out of bounds on the right sideline that you're sort of wondering what happened what? there. There's a turnover in midfield, 17th minute. There, there's yep. a handful of those moments in seemingly every game for McKinney. Yeah, that's dude, that where one I think, of the 17th was yeah, so bad. It's, it was so bad. Some of these, like, what is happening kind of moments. Yeah. But man, other times he is just yep. magic in that yep. midfield, right? There's a sequence we talked about with Way on the 50th minute. A few minutes before that, though, he has a great touch to release Arop right after halftime. He's he's dropping in a little bit right in front of Honduras's midfield four. He drops right ahead of them and just sprays the ball. It doesn't spraying's not the right way to describe that. He just cleanly releases Robinson with with a touch, and it's beautiful play. He's majestic to watch sometimes, and it doesn't feel like. 
he should be able to do so many of the things that he does technically on the ball. But man, he is electric sometimes in that midfield group. And and he is he's very much a hot and cold kind of player. And I do wonder, to your point, Taylor, if that will change at all with time. But yeah. even still, right now, I think you take so much of the bad because you get usually more good with Weston McKinney. Uh, yeah, I kind of hope it doesn't change just because <laughs> he is like – you'll get this moment for Weston McKinney where there will be a goal kick that he, under pressure, like brings down with one touch well – spinning and keeping control and then dribbling away and then hitting like a Travella ball out wide, inch perfect for the fullback to run onto and cross in. And then the next play, the ball will be passed to him and it will pop up off his first touch and hit him in the face. And you just kind of have to know like, yeah, uh, there's a Weston moment. On we go. And again, if you're all right with that, I I think it makes Weston McKinney that much more fun to watch. And I felt like he was, he was great uh, on the evening. He was the kind of midfield presence that the U S definitely needed. And I thought the center back pairing to give them a shot, out one more time uh they i think walker zimmerman i i i I took a clip of it uh if i if i remember to i'll post it there's one when he has like i would say no business but he wins it but it's a good 25 yard sprint to like it's not like he's in a foot race he just there's a person there's a 100 player waiting to kind of control the ball in the midfield it's i think it's a a pass from a U.S. player was cut out. It was kind of up in the air. And Zimmerman reacts to it immediately, closes 20, 25 yards, and wins the header. And just that sort of willingness to read and step, or ability to read and willingness to step, and then ability to step with the speed he needs. All of that, I think, is so important to Walker Zimmerman, combined with, uh, in this game at least, his his passing decisions I really enjoyed. For Miles Robinson, the same. And I would give him extra credit because I think in the first 25 to 30 minutes at least has about least has four di- at least four maybe five different after miles robinson has passed the ball he just goes in and he runs through him a couple times it's a 50 50 challenge that at least knows he's not going to win miles robinson has almost already won it and then Elise hits him robinson never really retaliates never gets up and gets distracted or lets that factor into his game and i thought just had a very professional game while picking up lots of little knocks and bruises. And again, in the cold weather, you're going to feel that all the more. So I thought a very composed performance from Miles Robinson and a very hard-fought performance from Walker Zimmerman. What did you think, Taylor, moving us up to the top of the U.S.'s shape here? Yeah. What did you think of Ricardo Pepe? And I ask, and I guess yeah. I'll, I'll lay out my standpoint first, and then you can you can say whatever you want. I just kind of don't know what to make of the U.S.'s yeah. number nine situation at this point. Well, I guess I guess I do in that I, I feel like no nine is differentiating themselves from the other nines at this point. Pepe yep. in this game, I feel like, didn't have a ton of meaningful involvements. Nope. What did you make of his performance? Did you see something there that maybe makes you feel better headed into March? Yeah, I saw I saw that decisiveness and the willingness to shoot and the desire to score goals that I think sometimes is lacking from U.S. number nines. I, I saw also some reasons why maybe we haven't seen him start a game in this window. Just heavy touches or misplaced passes, or he would make a run into space, and then the like the teammate would have passed the ball in the opposite direction. And sometimes that's on the teammate, but sometimes it's Pepe just putting his head down and running. And I think overall, Joe, I I I, I share your concern but analysis that no one is really differentiating themselves. And I think the player for the United States that comes in and has three good games and maybe scores a couple goals in those games as the number nine, the kind of the spot is theirs. And right now, if you, if, if we're playing a very important game tomorrow, 
I think I want Ricardo Pepe starting. I think Jesus Ferreira does a lot of good things when it comes to kind of playing as that false nine and dropping in. I think Giassi Zardes does a ton of hard running and hard work, but I don't know if that's what we need when it comes to that number nine. If we're looking for goals, I still think it's Ricardo Pepe, but that I have to kind of take four minutes to answer your question, I I think speaks volumes about my lack of certainty about that position still. Well, Taylor, you'll be pleased to know that it's actually only been about a minute and 15 seconds. Oh, so uh, so don't feel too bad. But no, I mean, that's I think I think we're in the same place at this point. I, you know, if we had to lay out the lineup for the Mexico game on March 24th, which is the first game of the March window for the U.S. at the Azteca and pick the nine, I I don't care. Right. Like, I don't I don't know how to decide. I don't yeah. know that we have enough information. Probably not Ferreira for a game like that with his style. Yeah. You might want someone who's going to push the line a little higher. But even if it's Ferreira, I would be surprised, but not not displeased necessarily. I would I would bank if I'm a betting man. I would bank on Pepe on the 24th uh, away to Mexico. I'd probably bank on Ferreira if he's back again. If he's back again against Panama at home on on the 27th, and then goodness knows for that that third game against Costa Rica, and who knows if that game will even matter or not. So. It's hard to say, and that's another thing, Taylor. We talked about the midfield and how maybe tweaking the personnel slightly could help chance creation. We talked about the the center backs and how the same thing might might apply there. We talked a little bit about some of the interactions in the final third, but a nine helps, a real nine, someone who you can rely on to consistently generate and be in good goal-scoring positions and put the ball in the back of the net with some frequency. That also would be a huge thing for this team. And that between now and November of, of this year, if the U.S. ends up clinching their spot in Qatar in March, that is the single most important thing for this team, at least on an individual personnel kind of level. And who knows if a nine will emerge. Maybe Sargent starts banging in goals. Maybe Pepe does. That's, but at yeah. this point, we've been talking about this position for so long. It felt like maybe there was going to be some progress after Pepe really burst on the scene with Honduras. But then he reverts to his mean and we're kind of right back where we started. I'm glad you brought up Sargent there, and I would say PFOC is the same. Sargent especially, I had sort of closed the door, at least for the time being when it comes to the national team. That door is at least now cracked open because we haven't seen that one player come in and make that position their own. We know they're going to start there. That is it. That's our number nine. And so Josh Sargent, if he can find uh, more form with Norwich, he's finally gotten a goal or goals. And if he can keep doing that, if he can keep being mobile but good on the ball but creating goal-scoring chances or taking goal-scoring chances or getting shots off, I think there is room for him in the team if he can kind of up those performances. And I think the same goes for Jordan Pifok. I think the next few months or a couple months will be – Super important for uh, Americans abroad and at home, I guess, with MLS starting in not, in the not-too-distant future, of that is the one spot that I think days. remains very wide open. Very wide open. Do you have any other any other things from this game? Any other points? Any other notes that you wanted to bring up? I don't have a ton else to say other than maybe a quick big-picture look at where the U.S. stands right now. Uh, one thing— Referees, if you have magic spray, use the magic spray. I don't think a hundred player was ever ten oh yards my, away from a free kick right? in this one. It was driving me crazy. <laughs> Even when he counted it off, I was like, "Dude, he was at six, and you counted <laughs> him to seven. Like, what is happening?" But uh, I guess some some craftiness from Honduras. Uh, but that was mildly infuriating to me. And again, credit to Ricardo Pepe for playing through a broken nose. An inadvertent elbow from Aldonado, but still an elbow to the nose. That had to sting. Uh, so that is my final note, Joe. Uh, use the magic spray, mark off 10 yards. 
Uh, we have the technology. Let's make it happen. I mean, anyone that just has magic spray should use it no matter your occupation, right? I mean, if, if as a referee, you can sort of smuggle that off the field and maybe you stop being a referee and you start doing something else, bring the spray with you. Yeah. Use it. I if I'll... I had magic spray, Taylor, you best believe I would be using it all the time. I don't know. <laughs> just use the gifts that been, have been given to you. Good gracious. Um, okay. Yeah, my, I, my... I, was, I don't actually, I don't even know. I think magic spray is the one that like numbs you up really quickly. I'm not even sure what they use to draw the lines because it, it goes away. So it can't just be like paint. But whatever that is, use that. It's magic spray. Always. Uh, That's what we're there calling we it. Um, and my, my quick big picture look yeah, for the U.S. right now, it's a little hard. So to peel back the curtain, right now there's 15 minutes left in the Mexico-Panama game. So we're not yeah. exactly sure what's going to happen. It's nil-nil. Panama yes, might is. hold on and get a result at the Azteca. Uh, a Mexico win is the best thing, in my mind, for the United States, which is always a weird thing to say. But in terms of distancing the top three, Canada's yeah. all, all up at the top doing their own thing. But really in terms of distancing the U.S. from the fourth place spot, Taking points away from Panama is a good thing. We don't know what's going to happen there. Listener, you do. But still, even if we set that Mexico-Panama game aside, I've been kind of down-ish on this performance. Taylor, you've been there too. It's hard to take too many things away, and that's really where we've landed. But setting all of that aside, setting the performance aside, setting whatever we learned or didn't learn aside, the U.S. is second right now, headed into the final stretch of World Cup qualifying there are three more games left. It is very likely that three more points, especially if those points, well, really they have to come against Panama. It's likely that that is enough to do the job. Get something against Mexico. Don't get something against Mexico. We don't know how it's going to pay out, uh, play, uh, really pan out, excuse me, on March 24th. But that Panama game is huge. If you can sneak three points out at the Azteca, great. But the U.S. still, Taylor, is in a good position right now. Four points behind Canada, at least a, a hair above Mexico and Panama as we record you could ask for better, but the U.S. is still in an okay position. They absolutely are. Joe, I have predicted that the United States will get all three points uh, on the road at the Azteca. Whew. I look forward to being completely correct about that one. And when <laughs> I am, we will obviously discuss it, and I will be incredibly gleeful. But I also would be happy with a point at the Azteca, a win against Panama. Let's go to the World Cup. And I'm very happy with a uh, all three points from this one. Six points total on the window. Not quite what we were hoping for, but uh, in the end, hopefully good enough. We shall see. We will obviously be back to talk about all the USA's remaining games and many other things between now and then. But for right now, Joe Lowry, thank you so much for taking all the time to talk to me about USA 3, Honduras nil. And I'm glad that you are not outdoors in Minnesota right now. That makes both of us, Taylor. This was a blast. <laughs> Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll chat with you all soon. Slash